Thanks for listening to Project Schoolyard Volume 2. For more information about the project, as well as lyrics to the songs on this CD, please visit www.tightrope.cc. You can also find jokes, news articles, a photo gallery, free CD downloads, and a secure online shopping cart. We carry a full line of flags, t-shirts, CDs, books, stickers, and other products of interest to racially conscious white people. Please visit www.tightrope.cc. We are the American Freedom Party. This is the most urgent time in the history of Western civilization. In the year 1900, white people of European descent comprised 35% of the world population. Today it is less than 9% and falling fast. Europe is being overrun with Middle Eastern immigrants and America's founding stock is rapidly being replaced with third world peoples from around the globe. For the last 50 years, every influential institution in this nation, our schools and universities, our media, our churches and our employers have promoted policies and principles that teach whites to be ashamed of their great heritage and birthright. We, who in the 1950s, the 1960s, and 1970s were the world's dominant force, are now so afraid of being called racist that we were quailing towards irrelevance and extinction. Join the American Freedom Party today. Reach us at theamericanfreedomparty.us or call us at 701-317-5317. Paid for by the American Freedom Party. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. While you're waiting, drop by our Confederate corner for a free cup of coffee and good conversation. Remember, there are no strangers here, just friends who haven't met yet. Dixie Republic, we're not just a roadside attraction, we're a destination for our people. For more information, visit DixieRepublic.com. You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com So, I'm going to do things a little differently than I usually do tonight. Uh, I am ridiculously busy, so let me let me start off with uh, the basics that we always start off with. Uh, I'm going to go over some things. When I get to the end, I hope that it opens up for discussion, because a lot of this is contemporary stuff. Uh, when I do open it up, I have to ask that uh, everybody's respectful. We act good, upstanding white men and women. Uh, no disparaging one another or other organizations tolerated. It's also important to remember that AFM always operates 100% within the confines of the law, so any comments uh, that would seem contrary to that, we're going to have to mute you. So, that being said, I'll get started. So, so uh, I don't know if any of you have opportunity to uh, see the uh, Dr. Phil 
was on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast, and that has got so many people uh, losing their minds. Now, obviously, Dr. Phil is far too liberal, in my opinion. He's definitely a, you know, we're all one race, the human race. We all need to get along. He even said in the interview at one point that he would never platform uh, a neo-Nazi or a KKK member. So I'm not saying the guy's great, uh, but I think that that whole conversation they had is really endemic of the awakening that we're seeing, the fact that everybody's waking up, because there's so many people coming now to the white nationalist movement, and more importantly, there's so many more normies that are finding their threshold, and they're just not willing to take it anymore. And they're starting to ask questions, and they're starting to take uh, tough stances, and I think that's important. But one thing it brought to my mind, because we were talking so much about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and they even touched on, uh, you know, the difference between equality of opportunity and equality of outcome, where equality of opportunity is everybody has the ability to accomplish the same things as everyone else, but equality of outcome is when you deliberately uh, manufacture it so that everybody gets the, the happy rainbow at the end that they want. And that's not real, and it's not possible, and it's not really effective. It kind of destroys everything. And I was thinking a lot about these movies that we're seeing coming out in the culture now, where they're just destroying uh, classic franchises in, in the, uh, the interest of being woke. You see things like uh, Snow White and The Little Mermaid. And I just saw the other day that they're talking about remaking uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and replacing Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow with a black woman. It makes no sense. But it's all in the interest of virtue signaling. Everybody has to outdo one another. And I remember when I was a kid, one of the things that was big then in the woke agenda, the the buzzwords, catchphrases, is we always used to hear them say, representation matters. And almost inevitably, when you would hear somebody say, representation matters, you would then hear some story about a poor little Asian girl or a poor little black girl, and she, you know, you'd get the music in the background, and oh, all I want is to look at the television and see a little girl who looks just like me. And now, you look everywhere, and that's all you see. All you see is is black girls and Asian girls. And, and more importantly to me, anyway, especially raising children in this society, they uh, are inundated with homosexuality and perversion. And even when it's not homosexuality, it's just this over-sexualized, young uh, attack on your children, even with these children at the drag shows that we all know about and, and, and have been to protests for. All that is is sexualization of children and getting them exposed to it. And that that's the core of that catchphrase. That's the core of those buzzwords. Representation matters. And you have to notice by seeing them enact it that it has a profound psychological impact. I'm sure that there are plenty of us here tonight, I can tell you right now, I'm one of them, where when I was a kid, my dad hated homosexuals. 
When I was a kid, he wanted nothing to do with them. He didn't have a nice word for them. They were always faggots. They weren't gay. They didn't, you know, have boyfriends or girlfriends. They were faggots. And they were engaged in sin. And they were pissing God off, period. And yet, 30 years later, seeing them and everything, having them as politicians, having them uh, in, in leading public-facing roles, you know, it's, you know, then we saw it all, right? As long as they do it behind closed doors... Uh, you know, it's not my problem. And now so many of them have gotten to the point where it's like, well, you know, he really did me okay on my taxes last year, so I don't care who he's screwing. <laughs> and they chuckle about it like it's not a problem. But that's the side effect of allowing yourself to be inundated with these really subtle, subliminal social changes that wind up influencing your behavior. And especially with our children, if you allow your children to watch entertainment, you have to really restrict. And I hate to say it, but you've, you've almost got to be that parent that you used to crap on when you were a kid about, oh, they're so strict. I can't do this. I can't do that. But you don't understand how much they sponge up and they soak in. And, and they could be doing something and not even watching the television, but just by hearing it or knowing what's going on, they come to you a day later and ask you a question about it. They are always paying attention. And you have to be careful about what it is you're letting them pay attention to. And not just for children, but society as a whole has really been impacted with this. And so you've got that media influence, and then you've got the influence of corporate America and uh, affirmative action. And a couple of the things that I was looking up to talk about tonight, like I said, I was, you know, I've been really busy doing this work, but I did pull up uh, a couple points that I wanted to remember and go over. Once, you know, I want to talk about the aviation industry. That's a big one right now. I want to talk about this mayor out in Illinois, Tiffany Henyard. Oh my gosh, that's a big one. She's ridiculous. Um, and I also want to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling with Harvard. Also, and I guess that's where we'll start. Also, their president, uh, who was a black woman, uh, getting, well, she resigned, okay, right? If you go online and you look for the, the Harvard president who was fired for plagiarism, you're not going to find it. They're being very careful about you know how they word this, but we all know it. Right? When you get into those upper level positions, we've seen it in in movies all the time. They pull you in and they go, "Here's a deal: we can fire you or you can resign." And she resigned. Period. We we all know what happened, but God forbid they admit that she was fired for plagiarism. No, she resigned. But anyway, let's go a little further back than that. So back in June of 2023. And this is the little blurb I found about it online, like to summarize it. So in June of 2023, the Supreme Court ruled that colleges and universities can't use race as a factor in their admissions, admissions anymore. It was ruling six to three that Harvard and the University of North Carolina uh, were taking race into account and it was unconstitutional. And only three of the judges, and they were the three liberal judges, by the way, dissented. Um, so affirmative action first established in 1965 uh, by executive order. I want you to remember, we just talked about a couple of weeks ago desegregation and how it was unpopular with the vast majority of Americans, but it was forced upon them by federalizing the National Guard. 
Well, it's kind of the same thing with an executive order of this nature, right? Affirmative action was enforced in 1965 by an executive order, not by an act of Congress, not by the will of the people. And it told employers to, quote, take affirmative action to ensure the equal opportunity is provided in all aspects of their employment. And then in 1978, the Supreme Court uh, sanctioned affirmative action for universities, but it also said that schools couldn't use racial quotas. So they could use racial policy, but they couldn't use racial quotas. Now, this one here in June of last year, um, the majority opinion, so all six conservative judges, said the court had, quote, permitted racist admissions only in the confines of narrow restrictions. Um, but basically, universities, colleges, higher learning, they can't use affirmative action in their policies anymore. And I think it's, it's really interesting that we're seeing this happen. I don't know where it's going to go, but I think that we have to foster the momentum from decisions like this. But I did find an interesting article from NPR of all places, because that's just like liberal cancer anymore. Uh, but <clears throat> they're talking uh, with an attorney. Uh, he's a Harvard Law professor. So the same school we just were talking about. Uh, his name's Noah Feldman. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say for sure, because I didn't look it up, but that has a certain tribal ring to it, if you ask me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a quick read. Uh, the NPR guy, he's asking him questions. Um, and the first, like, four questions here and this guy's uh, responses are, are intriguing to me. So we know that he's a liberal. We know that he's talking to a liberal media source. So he's going to, of course, be in favor of uh, affirmative action and using those policies in college uh, college admissions practices, but he seems to really understand that this Supreme Court decision is going to have far-reaching uh, consequences. So the, the guy who was doing the interview asks him this. He says, so I understand a lot of what you're thinking about this comes from a concurring opinion that Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote. Walk us through about how this case could be applied to the workspace. Uh, so Noah Feldman says, well, Scott, the Supreme Court decision was about Title VI of the civil rights laws, which covers higher education. But the question that we have to worry about for the workplace and workplace diversity is a different part, Title VII, which covers workplace discrimination. And Justice Gorsuch wrote a separate concurrence to say that in his view, there's absolutely no reason for the law under Title VII to be any different from the law under Title VI because they use extremely similar words to prohibit discrimination. And so on his logic, which he made crystal clear, if racial diversity is no longer a permissible justification for affirmative action in higher education admissions, it would also no longer be a permissible justification for considering racial diversity as part of affirmative action in hiring. So this is Justice Gorsuch illuminating this during uh, the Harvard ruling. So the interviewer comes back and he says, well, that's a concurring opinion, again, not the majority opinion. But in your piece, speaking to Feldman, he says, you wrote, and I quote, practically no lawyer advising a client today 
could assure the client that it would still be lawful to consider race in hiring. And that seems like a pretty dramatic step, and I'm interested if you could tell us more about that interpretation here. So the professor goes on to say, if you're a lawyer advising a company that you work for, and they are your client, you want to tell them not just what the law might technically be right at this moment, but what it's going to be interpreted by the courts to be. And the writing is really on the wall here that there's a high probability, a very high probability, that a majority of the current Supreme Court will say the exact same thing that it said in the case of Title VI about Title VII. And indeed, some of them and some lower courts would probably take the view that just by saying what they already said, the court has already done enough to make it clear that you can no longer use racial diversity as an objective in workplace hiring. And that's why, if you were a lawyer advising a client, you would have to tell them that's where it looks like things are going. So this is affirmative action in the workplace. I think, um, you know, I would disagree with what he's saying here. I know what he's talking about. What he's saying is that a lot of times when the court writes something in their opinion or in their dissension and it becomes a matter of record, it can often be looked back at as uh, not precedents, but I guess for lack of a better term, pseudo precedents because it's present in the record and the opinion of the court. Um, but I would like to see something a little more official. I think that's required. I think we need a case uh, to put this into law, you know, somebody v. somebody, so we can just get this done and over with. But it's, it's heading out the window, uh, legally speaking. But the real question to me is about these companies. Because we know that so many of these companies are invested in and owned by companies like BlackRock and Vanguard. And they have very specific uh, DEI requirements that are placed upon them by these groups that are coming directly from places like the World Economic Forum. We all know this. It's one globalist Zionist thing. So until the courts do anything about it, it's not going to be law. And more importantly, even if it was law, I think that they're going to find ways to get around it. Um, I, I don't think that they're going to continue doing it or, or, or continue to, you know, just go by the law. I think that they'll find a new way to word it and, and continue to virtual signal to other employees. And I think a good example of that segueing into aviation, because that's a huge one right now. Boeing, we just saw, first of all, Boeing a couple of years ago gets off the 737 MAX debacle, and now all of a sudden they've got doors blowing off of airplanes. Well, I mean, let's talk about what Boeing's doing. They're virtue signaling with this DEI affirmative action nonsense. They have an entire plan that they want to meet between 2020s, so it started you know, three years ago now, we're only at the beginning of 2024, and their goals need to be met by the end of 2025. And I was on the internet, and I found this whole slideshow they did recently in PowerPoint about what they've actually been able to accomplish since they started. And I was looking at some of these numbers, and, you know, there's some, you know, we have women in leadership roles and things like that, and... You know, that's great, but you get further down, and this is where you really start coming into the racial aspect. So 
This is what I don't get. So since 2020, they've increased U.S. Uh, ethnic minorities, period. They've increased uh, management role ethnic minorities, and they've increased production and maintenance minorities. So it's 4.1% that they've increased the first two categories, but this is the one that, that worries me. In production and maintenance for Boeing, they've increased racial and ethnic minorities in production and maintenance uh, 6.5 points. So 6.5% since 2020. And if you continue to go down here further, and you actually look at where these people are at, like each different group, and how they've increased the representation of them, you start to realize that the percentages are completely forced. They're not representative of the overall population, right? So I went and I looked at, you know, what are the current racial demographics of the United States? I really wanted to see how far out of whack is what Boeing is doing. So currently in the United States, uh, the last official report we have is from 2021. You got just about 60% white, about 19% Hispanic, and just under 13% uh, black, 6% Asian. And then you've got all these other uh, small categories. So 13%, which we all know, right? 13% is what, 56, 60% of the crime rate? But that's a whole different story. Don't say that. You're racist if you say that. Don't think about it. But anyway, 13% of the population is black, and yet they have increased. Where is this number? Yeah, of their new hires, 47.5%. 2020 to 2022, they've gone up to 47.5% of all new hires deliberately being chosen because they are racial and ethnic minorities. And this is not up in the air. This is not something that I'm, you know, hypothesizing or just, you know, going on some racist tangent over. You can go to Boeing.com and you can look for their DEI policy. And right there on the page, there is a link to this slideshow I'm reading from. And it just goes over what they've done. And I mean, this is a huge slideshow. I'm not going to go over the whole thing with you. That would be boring as hell, I'm sure. It's 23 slides, and it's real small writing. And it's a whole bunch of virtue signaling about how wonderful they're doing. Uh, but if you're interested in it, I would go look at it. I'm a big fan of aviation, so i kind of been following the fact that in the industry, there's a huge push for black women to fly airplanes. We've also noticed a huge increase in near uh, miss accidents, like things that almost were catastrophic, but thankfully were fine. Then you look at the ports, the parts, the production and maintenance sections of Boeing that are growing the most by um, deliberate minority increases. And those are the areas that are responsible for things like, I don't know, making sure an exit door is bolted on all the way. So obviously, you know, we all here tonight know that this is stupid, but it's starting to be noticed. And it's this idea we come back to a representation matters. Um, and then 
we've seen in politics, where we have so many politicians. I mean, look at our, oh, God, I don't even want to call her our vice president, but look at Kamala Harris. Have you ever heard that woman say anything that made any sense? Does she have any reason to be in politics? I mean, besides all the reasons we wouldn't like her anyway, she's freaking half retarded. I mean, that's how she comes off. It's impossible to listen to her and take her seriously. And Joe Biden told the entire country that he chose her because she was a black woman. How could you possibly call that anything other than a diversity hire? That's not even a slight. They told us it was a diversity hire. And then you see we had Lord Whitefoot, was the, the mayor of Chicago, arguably one of the worst. She looked like Gollum. I don't know how people even talked to her and took her seriously. Then you get this new guy whose name I can't even remember, but I do know that he was like crying at a press conference last week. Everybody's flipping out because of the migrant problem in, in Chicago. And he comes back out and he's like, man, I got a wife and kids and responsibilities. Do you think I can put 24-7 into that? Well, yeah, dude. You wanted to be the mayor of Chicago. Here you go. And now, my most recent favorite, and if you're ever on YouTube, everybody who's ever on YouTube, you must have seen something about this so far. So you got this mayor in Dalton, Illinois, just a little bit outside Chicago, named Tiffany Henyard, who's a diversity hire to have. You can even find mugshots of her being arrested for crimes a few years before she was the mayor. Go figure. And she's in trouble right now because she's embezzling money. She just uh, is about to get all of the police department's cars repossessed. And by the way, I guess I, I should have said from the beginning the common thread here, these are all black people in political roles. And she literally goes into these city council meetings dressed as Nino Brown from New Jack City. And just in case you just, you know, it's, no, it's a coincidence, she even carries a stuffed little white dog. Not real. So she looks like Nemo Brown in New Texas holding his little white dog. And then, in front of everybody, she starts blasting Rihanna's bitch better have my money. How is this a politician? And then I was looking into it a couple of days ago, and she's up there, and this is the best part, folks. She's, she's not defending herself. She's not saying she hasn't done these horrible things. She's looking at everybody in the room going, you're all black. You're all black people, and I'm a black woman. How dare you do this to me? I kid you not. Look it up. So now we're at a point where all we have is diversity hires everywhere, representation that's through the roof for minorities and homosexuals. Our own children can't watch TV and even see beautiful white people that have good moral values anymore. And so they're the ones who need representation. And I think that's really the point that I wanted to make. I wanted to go on a little bit of a rant. I wanted to talk a little bit about current events in case some of you aren't really aware of these legal things that are going on. Because I think that they're going to go further. I think we're going to see a lot more Supreme Court decisions this year and next. And I hope that they kind of bring us back to the republic we're supposed to have. I, I saw Roe v. Wade uh, being overturned as a possible thing. I think Obergefell maybe. Uh, I think there's a couple cases we may see either brought back into question or new cases setting new precedent that changes the way things are handled. I hope so, anyway. Uh, 
but you know I'm a little jaded. We've we've been on this earth long enough to know that we hope for these things and they often don't happen. But I think that's where we come in. And I've talked about this before, and I mean it wholeheartedly. We need to be that representation. When everybody out there has a perception of what a Nazi is, and they don't even care enough to know that they're wrong, they need to see representation of honorable white people that care about race instead of seeing it through the false lens of the perverted history they've been taught. They need to see strong white men standing up in politics, fighting for their race, establishing moral codes in their communities, and rebuilding the decay and the rot and the cancer that is threatening to overtake our country right now. So protect your children, keep your eyes open, and be that new representation. We didn't get here because it doesn't work. This is a propaganda technique. It is a psychological concept. We can use it too. And I think that we should all think about what that means and how we can do our part to give visibility to our race, to our people, to our future, and what we really need. So again, apologize. I went uh, on a little bit of a tangent. Usually I'm very structured, but like I said, I was pretty busy this week. Uh, and those are the things I had to talk about. So with that, that I'd like to open up. would love to hear maybe some other news stories that people have seen or maybe your thoughts on something I shared. But I'd really like to know where everybody thinks we're headed with this. So if you just put your hands up, uh, we'll open up the floor. This is Ron Paul. I am a former congressman, physician, and presidential candidate. The world is in turmoil. Things like Ebola, earthquakes, wars, and famines are commonplace. As Americans, we are largely sheltered from these events. However, in parts of the world, just having enough food is a huge problem. For some of us, there is the nagging thought that we may not always have it so good. So we keep some food on hand just in case. My family and I have found a product that helps us do this better. It's a home freeze dryer from Harvest Right. With it, we eat healthier and store a little more food. We freeze dry everything we love to eat, and it lasts up to 25 years. Who knows what the future will bring? One thing's certain, my family and I will always have food on the table. To learn more, go to HarvestRight.com or call 800-763-5999. That's HarvestRight.com or 800-763-5999. Is there a count somewhere? You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com. Do you want to fix America's police and take the country back in the process? If you answered yes, then CSPOA needs you. CSPOA.org, the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, is an organization comprised of citizens, sheriffs, police, and other government officials. We are taking America back sheriff by sheriff, county by county, and state by state. And we need you. Over 300 sheriffs constitutionally trained. We teach public servants the Constitution and need your help. Become a part of the solution today at CSPOA.org. Let me get you unmuted there, buddy. You're good to unmute yourself. Hey, can you hear me, brother? Oh, loud and clear. Excellent. Uh, slight derailment. Um, 
on uh, what was it, everything going on. But uh, as we all saw earlier this week, Rob Runda was freed from jail, charges dropped, whole nine yards, and immediately brought back in. So when it comes to stories, when it comes to the political climate and the direction that things are going, you know, like you said, right now it's very important to keep your nose clean, and that's not just appearance-wise. Uh, as the old saying goes, you know, we're all already criminals. We just ain't been charged yet. And I just want to bring that up, see if you had anything to say about it, and I'll go back on mute, my friend. Yeah, well, I mean, so I knew half of that. I knew that he was freed, um, and I thought that was uh, amazing, man. The hair stood up on my neck when that happened, but unfortunately, I've been too busy to hear that he was locked back up again. What was the excuse they used? Did they come up with different charges, or, or why did they pick him up again? Do you know? I can't remember uh, exactly what they had said, but basically what had wound up happening with Rob Rundo's story that, uh, in my opinion, is the most important part for us all to take away from is that the, within minutes of the of the judge saying that the selective prosecution thing was just plain ridiculous in Charlottesville, and that's why he wasn't going to get charged with anything, within minutes of that ruling, the feds were already filing an appeal they have money to throw at these things. And if you're on their radar, you know, brace for impact. It's coming. Uh, reality is, in many ways, we all already are on their radar. Let's always keep that in mind while moving forward. Uh, like I said, he is back in custody right now. Uh, I can't remember what it is that they're charging him with, what they decided to do. Uh, but as time goes on, I think that these political uh, persecutions are going to continue. For those of you that have also been paying attention, this happened today, not this week. But Thomas Rousseau was arrested as well. Same thing, Charlottesville. What was that, seven years ago? And uh, they're just now getting around to it. Let's all keep our noses clean. Absolutely. Good word of advice. I appreciate it. I'm going to look into the Rundo situation. That was... Oh, man. I was really excited to hear he was let out. It's disappointing to hear he's back in. I just hope that he's got the fortitude to see it through and that people care enough to support him because he shouldn't be there alone. He's he's done a lot more at such a young age to be noticeable for the movement than so many people are even willing to do for themselves today. So I hope he gets it together. That's horrible. So I'll check into that. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else? Bolts, let me get you unmuted. Uh, there you go, brother. You can unmute. Evening, everybody. Um, yeah, that the Rob Rundo thing, man. It if um, it should really highlight that these people hate us, and they they will stop at nothing to destroy us and destroy our families, because ultimately. The people that are behind all of this diversity, all of this um, filth pouring into our country and <clears throat> tearing our nation apart in, in all white nations, um, they want us dead. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, um, I, I, had the, uh, I had the privilege of, of doing a, a short stint in L.A. County, and let me tell you, it's no place to be. Um, the, the awareness that we need to have and the, the awareness that I try to have is, is that ultimately, 
Um, these people are going to, if they can't get you for anything, if they hate you bad enough, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna pin something on you or do whatever they have to to make sure that they they have control of you and that you're going to jail. You know, and without trying to get too, you know, down too dark of a road here, um, I I've seen this before in in my past my past life where people that they just could not catch they found a way. You know. And um, it's something for all of us to be aware of, you know, who, who we're really up against. The, um, the future, in my opinion, is, is going to have to become much more tactical on our end. And I say that um, both legally and, and, and physically. We have to be very aware of the battlefield that we're fighting on, you know. Um, they, they control the government. They control many of these apparatus, um, including the the corporate uh corporate america <clears throat> uh you know I, I work in the technical fields i work in corporate america i say i have a front row seat to the way this stuff operates and let me tell you when when i walk into work and i see billboards advertising all of the various uh employee networks and so on and so forth and you better believe not a single one of them is a white employee network <clears throat> god forbid right um, you know, some of my favorite slogans are, uh, you know, have uh, have the uh, uh, was <laughs> be the authentic you that you are. Some you know, some corporate BS. And uh, but you know, it's uh, we have to remember where these things come from. They they don't come out of the blue. They are forced upon these organizations by high finance, and high finance is owned and run by Jews. And that's where the majority of this garbage comes from. And, and that's ultimately what we're fighting against. You know, um, a lot of the conclusions that I have come to is that, yeah, we're probably going to see massive companies in a, in a serious decline. And for us as, as Aryans, for us as white Americans, it's extremely important for us to start building our own economies and, and begin to be able to earn a living with skills that we have that um they can they can um you know kind of translate to any kind of community that we're in um that's that's basically all i have i, I mean i think you're right on i mean i don't want to share too much about my IRL existence but a lot of what you said echoes in my own life and i see it every day getting emails about you know this pronoun or this one hour panel of diverse ladies that want to talk to everybody and people get paid to go sit in these meetings and listen to the propaganda. And then the company gets to go to the WEF summits and talk about what they've done for the cause and little trophies and plaques so that they get to then come home and send new emails about how they've been recognized for their bullshit. It's, uh, it's disgusting, man. We all have to do our part. I, I certainly intend on doing everything I can to change whatever aspect of the social culture I interact with. And I think that's exactly what it's going to take from all of us. It's going to take evangelism of the truth to normies to wake them up. And it's going to take them and us every convert to actually put into action what we claim to believe. And if we do that as a grassroots movement, then I think we're going to affect real change. But cowardice is one aspect. The other aspect is the very 
real nature of of what Francis was saying, you know, if uh, even what you were saying uh, when you first started and didn't want to get too dark, you know, if they want you gone, they're going to find a way to get you gone. We have to be clean. We have to keep our heads up. We got to stay out of trouble. Um, but I, I think I let's put it this way. I think it can be done uh, most times. I think there are those people who will become martyrs. I think there are those people uh, who won't get away with it or who will be persecuted. But I think that if we care enough about this, then we have to accept that that's the reality. And you might be that one person. And uh, it would be very unfortunate and painful. But how much does this matter? Because as far as I'm concerned, my comfort here is nothing for the future of my family and my bloodline. So I think that we all need to take a little more seriously. That's what I would say to it. But thank you very much for sharing. I agree completely. Anybody else? All right. Well, it was a good conversation, everybody. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Hope you have a good week. Thanks for stopping by. Hell victory and white power. White power, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. Listen to Resolution Radio, 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 ResolutionRDO.com. This is the Justice Report weekly recap for February 19th to 23rd, 2024. Today's story, a black felon who killed three white men exhibited anti-white hate. A black felon, barred from owning firearms, was identified as the man behind a brutal shooting and SWAT standoff that killed three white men, reports say. Unearthed social media posts also revealed the now-deceased killer held a hatred of white people. According to reports, 38-year-old Shannon Cortez Gooden shot and killed three white first responders during an intense SWAT standoff early Sunday morning. Gooden, who is black, was believed to have barricaded himself inside a home in Burnsville, a suburb of 58% white Minneapolis, Minnesota. Police were originally called to the home for a domestic disturbance, where they found Gooden armed to the teeth with a considerable amount of weapons and ammunition. A police spokesman stated he took cover inside the home alongside his children, ages 2 to 15. While the mainstream media has yet to officially identify Gooden as the suspect, social media sleuths and local news outlets were able to independently confirm his identity and unearth a history of troubling details. In a Facebook video uploaded before his death, Gooden can be seen firing a rifle alongside an unidentified individual while stating that he's envisioning a white person as his target downrange. Today's story. A love of reading and writing is now considered white supremacy in a majority white school. Seattle, Washington. Students at a predominantly white high school are being taught that a love of reading and writing is white supremacy. Outraged, 
One local father has sounded the alarm against what he calls educational malpractice. Seattle's Lincoln High School became the center of controversy after KTTH revealed that world literature and composition students had been issued worksheets defining nine characteristics of white supremacy. The sheets were issued as part of Lincoln's celebration of Black Lives Matter at School Week, which described concepts like worship of the written word and perfectionism as indicators of being a white supremacist. According to the educational nonprofit, Great Schools, which tracks student racial demographics, Lincoln's student base is 68% white, with only 3% black in attendance. The school previously drew ire from parents when it was discovered that white students were barred from attending a multicultural week event in 2023. The worksheets would go on to further elaborate that worship of the written word is white supremacy because it erases the many diverse ways in which others communicate and honors only what is written and even then only what is written to a narrow standard full of misinformation and lies. Today's story, a white grandfather was shot dead over a parking space at Walmart, Highland, California. A white grandfather was fatally shot in a Walmart parking lot following an altercation over a minor fender bender just east of San Bernardino. According to reports, 59-year-old Jonathan Mauck went to Walmart on the night of February 5th to purchase supplies. Police said he was backing up his vehicle after passing a parking spot when his custom-built 1998 Chevrolet Camaro Supersport collided with a car backing out of a different space. The vehicle damage was reportedly minor, resulting in a scratch or two and no injuries. San Bernardino Police Captain Nelson Carrington told people that Mock exited his car to apologize to the driver, 37-year-old Shantice Marie Norton. There was a verbal altercation and that's when, per witness accounts, the suspect retrieved a firearm and shot the victim. It's my understanding that the suspect is the one who did all of the yelling, said Carrington. When officers arrived, they found Mock with a gunshot wound to his head. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Norton, who was black, fled after the shooting and was arrested at an apartment complex less than 12 hours later, where police recovered an unregistered firearm believed to have been used in the killing. Support independent journalism. With new and original content coming out throughout the week, the Justice Report relies on our readers to keep the chain of information flowing. Become a paying subscriber to the Justice Report's official Substack or Odyssey and gain access to a full range of audio articles like these. My brothers, my sisters, I bring you a message of solidarity, a call to action, and a demand for adherence to duty of an Aryan resurgence and ultimately total Aryan victory. We have broken the chains of Jewish thought. We know not the meaning of the word mine, it is ours. Our race, the totality of our people. Ten hearts, one beat. One hundred hearts, one beat. Ten thousand hearts, one beat. We are born to fight and to die and to continue the flow. The flow of our people. Onward we will go, onward to the stars, high above the mud, the mud of yellow, black and brown. So kinsman duty calls. The future is now. 
If months from now you have not yet fully committed yourself to the Alliance, then you have in effect not only betrayed your race, you have betrayed yourself. So stand up like men and drive the enemy into the sea. Stand up like men and swear a sacred oath upon the green graves of our sires that you will reclaim what our forefathers discovered, explored, conquered, settled, built, and died for. Stand up like men and reclaim our soil. Kinsmen, arise. Look towards the stars and proclaim our destiny. Defeat never, victory forever. In the early 1900s, certain companies were off-gassing highly toxic fluoride gases into the atmosphere. The surrounding communities began to get sick. Laws were enacted to compel these corporations to install scrubbers to convert these gases into fluorosilicic acid, still highly toxic but containable. Now these companies had a stockpile of this poison, and there was no affordable way to dispose of it. Lucky for them, one of their major stockholders was also the Secretary of the Treasury, who was responsible for the Public Health Service at the time. And by 1950, the U.S. government began buying this toxic, untreated industrial waste product and dumping it into our drinking water. Reputable studies show that it's causing various cancers and other disease. With the Alexa Pure Pro, you can have clean drinking water and a remedy to this madness. Available now at InfoWarsStore.com.